Welcome to Abergavenny Baptist Church. Life, faith, together. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 8, and beginning to read at verse 15. Then God said to Noah, Leave the boat, all of you, you and your wife and your sons and their wives, Release all the animals, the birds, the livestock, and the small animals that scurry along the ground so they can be fruitful and multiply throughout the earth. So Noah, his wife, and his sons and their wives left the boat. And all of the large and small animals and birds came out of the boat pair by pair. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord And there he sacrificed as burnt offerings the animals, birds that had been approved for that purpose. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race, even though everything they think or imagine is bent towards evil from childhood. I will never again destroy all living things. As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. And then in chapter 9, God told Noah and his sons, I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants and with all the animals that were on the boat with you, the birds, the livestock and all the wild animals, every living creature on earth. Yes, I am confirming my covenant with you. Never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. And then in verse 17, God said to Noah, this rainbow is the sign of the covenant I am confirming with all the creatures of the earth. Well, at the beginning of this year, I received a message from a prayer colleague, um, a man who was born and bred in Wales, in North Wales, and he has a passionate heart for Wales and for revival. He lives in Dorset now, but he often visits North and South Wales to pray and perform prophetic acts as he feels led by the Spirit. Now, he's already been to Abergavenny several times to join in and lead prayer events, But this time, he felt led to worship in the grounds of Abergavenny Castle. In the past, we've declared the lordship of Jesus over our town and our valley, and we've claimed spiritual territory for Christ. But as we gathered at the castle and spoke out scriptures, I knew there was a lot more to altars than I knew. So I've been looking into the meaning of altars and their significance to us as followers of Christ. Excuse me. Now that started me on a, a biblical treasure hunt for altars. I started in my Strong's Concordance. I've got a very fat Strong's Concordance. And I discovered that there were 378 references for the word altar in, that, in the Old Testament and another 23 in the New Testament. And there were another 56 for altars in plural. So that was 433 in total. Now, that would have taken me all year, I think, to research. So I'm only 
giving you an overview, you'll be glad to know this morning. But what I've found has a great deal to teach us. <clears throat> so altars. In the book of Genesis, an altar was just a simple earth or stone structure on which blood sacrifices could be made. And blood sacrifice was an established part of many religions in Bible times. It was a way of pleasing the many pagan gods that were worshipped. And so the first altar that we find in the Bible in Genesis 7 to 9 was built by Noah after the great flood. And that flood had dealt with wickedness and corruption that had prevailed on the earth. And it was only Noah and his family and the pairs of animals that God had ordained to be saved had survived. There were seven pairs of each animal and bird, male and female, that were approved for eating and for sacrifice. And there was one pair of every other kind. And we read in our reading now that Noah built an altar and he sacrificed as burnt offerings the animals and the birds that had been approved for that purpose. <clears throat> and we read that God was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice, and he made that promise, I will never again curse the earth because of the human race, even though everything they think or imagine is bent towards evil. He goes on to say, I confirm my covenant with you and your descendants. Never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. And so this first altar was a place of sacrifice. It was a place of thanksgiving. It was a place of God's promise of his covenant. And the sign was also given, the rainbow, a reminder to mankind of his promise. Moving on through Genesis, in chapter 12, we see Abram commanded by God to leave his native country and go to the land that God would show him, where he would make him into a great nation and bless him and make him famous. And when Abram obeys and arrives in the land of Canaan, God appears and tells Abram, I will give this land to your descendants. And Abram built an altar and dedicated it to the Lord. Now, Abram was nomadic. He traveled around this new territory with his flocks and his herds. And he built altars and he worshipped God at them. And they would be revisited through the seasons. So now altars were being used as a place of worship. And then in Genesis 22, we see Abram again, now Abraham, father of many nations, being called to sacrifice his only precious son. And we know the story, don't we, of how Abraham, in obedience, goes to the summit of Mount Moriah to kill Isaac on the altar, and then a ram appears in the thicket. God provides the sacrifice as he sees Abraham's faith and obedience. It's interesting, isn't it, that the 1904 Welsh Revival broke out in Moriah Chapel in Llanethli. Now, this altar is a place of provision, and God reveals one of his many names or attributes, Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. 
And so as we go on through the scriptures, we find altars being used as places of remembrance, built in locations where they have had God encounters. Jacob, in Genesis 35, having encountered God and realizing how God is blessing and protecting his family, orders every pagan idol and all unholy paraphernalia to be destroyed. And he builds an altar at Bethel as a reminder of his meeting with God and the need for holiness and purity. Through Moses, the use of the altar in the tabernacle, and then through David and Solomon in the temple, is established as the formal and necessary part of worship that God in Exodus chapters 20 to 30 laid down specifically great detail in the construction and practice of using the altar. So the burning of sacrifices becomes the way to atone for sin, was the only way to get right with God. And these sacrifices and offerings had to be repeated year in and year out. Leviticus sorry, <clears throat> gives us a very specific instruction that God gave to Moses for the burnt offerings. And three times in those instructions are the command to keep the fire on the altar, burning day and night. That fire must never go out. Now, as I worked my way through some of these references to altars, I came across all sorts of stories and accounts that were fascinating. There's a story of Balaam, the prophet, a pagan prophet, who was called by a pagan king to curse the Israelites, but God would only allow him to bless them. And he built in three different places on high points, looking over the Israelite army, seven altars, so 21 altars in total, so that God would speak to him and allow him to curse the Israelites. But each time God did speak, but he would only allow him to bless his people. So here the altar becomes a place of blessing. And in Balaam's speech to King Balak, he reiterates that God will not allow him to curse his chosen people, the Israelites, because God does not lie or break his promises, and his promise has been to bless people. <clears throat> God is not a man, he said. He does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? Listen, I received a command to bless. God has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. And so at these altars, all 21 of them, God reveals through Balaam, this pagan prophet, another facet of his character, that he is true to his word, and he will not go back on it. Another significant story that we all know is the altar that Elijah built. Where are you? There he is. <clears throat> to the prophets of Baal. Um, he, he wanted to demonstrate the mightiness of God to the prophets of Baal. Pagan priests who tried all day to get their so-called God to bring down fire to light the altar and burn the sacrifice. And then after mocking their efforts, Elijah even pours water all over his altar that he had built to God. 
and then calls the fire down from heaven, which burns up the sacrifice and licks up the water in the trench as well. A demonstration of the mighty power of God. And yet, by the end of the Old Testament, in the book of Micah, chapter 6, we see that as so often before, God's people have become sloppy and complacent. Many of them have turned away to dilute their worship with pagan idolatry. And their attitude to God has lost its respect, its awe, its passion. And Micah cries out, What can we bring to the Lord? What kind of offerings can we bring him? Should we bow before the Lord with offerings of yearling calves? Should we offer him thousands of rams and thousands of rivers of olive oil? Should we sacrifice our firstborn children to pay for our sins? No, O people. The Lord has told you what is good. This is what he requires of you, to do what is right to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And then Malachi, the very last book of the Old Testament, records the message from God that speaks of how disappointed God is with his people who have lost respect for him, who think it's okay to offer him stolen, deformed animals for sacrifice, who bring the least valuable rather than the most precious to God, who bring lip service rather than heart service. How I wish, says God, that one of you would shut the temple doors so these worthless sacrifices could not be offered. I am not pleased with you. You dishonor my name by your actions. And then for several hundred years, there is silence from God. So what has all this got to say to us as God's people today in the light of the New Testament and as people of the New Covenant? We've seen how altars represent special places, places of promise and covenant, as with Noah and Abraham, places of commission and provision, places of encounter, as with Jacob, places of remembrance, of blessing, of revelation, places where the power and might of God is displayed, as with Elijah, when the fire of God falls, and most importantly, as places of sacrifice, where blood is shed as an atonement for sin. So do we have special times, places, seasons, when we remember encounters with God? Are there special scriptures which we know have been specific words from the Lord for us? Just as Abraham and his descendants kept going back to the same altars, remembering what God had done, what he'd said, what he'd promised, so it's good for us to revisit places, scriptures, encounters that have been special for us. I try to go regularly to Falderbrennan in Pembrokeshire, and as I spend time at the High Cross, looking out over the valley and the little chapel with its altar made of rock, just a huge rock around which the the chapel was built, that's a special place for me, and it's a place where I've seen God move in amazing ways. 
I like to go to places where revivals have broken out. For instance, I was recently in Bristol, where I went to the new rooms in the middle of Broadmead, where John Wesley had his house and chapel. And in the, in the museum, you can stand in the pulpit where he preached so many wonderful sermons and where his brother Charles wrote so many stirring hymns. They were full of scriptural truth. And as I've been looking at this work on altars, there's one that's been buzzing around my head that, that speaks about altars. <clears throat> o thou who camest from above, the pure celestial fire to impart, kindle a flame of sacred love on the mean altar of my heart. There let it for thy glory burn with inextinguishable blaze and trembling to its source return in humble prayer and fervent praise. And here in that hymn is a reminder of that fire on the altar that must never go out. And how significant it is that there have been reports of revival breaking out in University College Chapel in Asbury, Oklahoma, where students have experienced the weighty presence of God during their normal Sunday service. And that service continued for two weeks nonstop with much weeping and repentance and seeking for a deeper relationship with God. And it spread to neighboring universities and people have traveled all over the world just to experience that tangible presence of God for themselves. You know, the festivals we celebrate during the church year, David was speaking about that as we had our prayers for Lent, Christmas, Lent and Easter, Pentecost and Harvest. Those are spiritual altars reminding us of what God has done and who he is as revealed in the person of Jesus. And I was thinking about our celebration here of Easter when we have our, our Easter cross covered in flowers and we put it outside of the church. And uh, in Joshua 23, there's a mention of an altar built and it was called the altar of witness. And that cross outside our church is an altar of witness that shows other people, this is our God. This is who we serve. Now, for us, in the light of Jesus, the altar points directly to the cross, the cross on which the greatest sacrifice of all was nailed, the cross on which God himself, our Lord Jesus, willingly shed his blood as the once and for all sacrifice for sin, not his sin, but ours, the sins of the world. Jesus said to his disciples after supper, on the very night on which he was betrayed, as he took the cup of wine, gave thanks and gave it to them. This is my blood of the new covenant, shed for you and for many, for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. The altar of the temple has become for us the table of communion, a place of remembrance of what Jesus has done. And every time we take that bread and we drink the wine, we celebrate and give thanks to Jesus for his incredible sacrifice, the only sacrifice that could deal with our sin once and for all, 
and make us acceptable to God the Father. There's that verse in Song of Solomon, he led me to his banqueting house and his banner over me is love. It's that invitation to draw near, to join him at his table, that table to which all are invited. How lovely that Deb is doing with the children, an invitation to the celebration feast. We can join him at that table and enter into an intimate relationship with him, no longer rejected because of sin, but wholly accepted because Jesus, our Saviour, has paid the price with his blood. Psalm 23 says, doesn't it, Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you know, each time we take communion, we are declaring Christ's victory. And that's a weapon of warfare as we declare what he has done. And as we think of that sacrifice, what is our response I think of that last verse of the lovely carol in the bleak midwinter, which says, what can I give him? Poor as I am, if I were a shepherd, I would give a lamb. If I were a wise man, I would do my part. Yet what I can, I give him, give my heart. Remember Micah's message, no, O people, The Lord has told you what is good. This is what he requires of you. To do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. What God requires of us is our wholehearted love for Jesus. An attitude of humility that puts him first and that declares Jesus as Lord of our lives. Paul in Romans 12.1 says, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. There's so much more to this. Every time I do my daily reading, something else about altars pops up. But we will finish now with the with some words from Hebrews 13. We have an altar from which the high priests in the tabernacle have no right to eat. Under the old system, the high priest brought the blood of animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin, and the bodies of animals were burned outside the camp. So also Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates, to make his people holy by means of his blood. So let us go outside the camp and bear the disgrace he bore. This world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that because of his sacrifice on the cross, he has done all that is necessary 
to make us right with God. And so today we declare his lordship over our lives and come in humility to serve you. May our service be pleasing to you as we look to Jesus. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you will help us to become more and more like him. We bring to you the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving and ask that we may recognize those altars in our lives that remind us of your presence, of your holiness, of your promises, of your commissioning, and of your everlasting love. And as the closing verses of Charles Wesley's hymn continues, Jesus, confirm my heart's desire to work and speak and think for thee. Still let me guard the holy fire and still stir up thy gift in me. Ready for all thy perfect will, my acts of faith and love repeat till death thy endless mercies seal and make the sacrifice complete. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit our website, abgavenibaptist.co.uk.